A very warm welcome to Evensong for this Trinity Sunday. Trinity Sunday, within the Western tradition, falls on the Sunday after Pentecost and, unusually for a major feast day, celebrates a doctrine rather than an event. The doctrine it celebrates is our belief in one God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit.
shall show forth thy praise. to help us. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Here begins the sixth chapter of the prophecy of Isaiah. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him, each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. 
The pivots on the thresholds shook at the voices of those who called, and the house filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me! I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. Here ends the first lesson.
Here begins the fifth verse of the 16th chapter of the Gospel according to John. Jesus said to his disciples, Now I am going to him who sent me. Yet none of you ask me, Where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because they do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father and you will see me no longer. About judgment, because the ruler of this world has been condemned. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of Truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. For this reason I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Here ends the second lesson. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, 
maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Peace which the world cannot give, that 
One of the fantasies that children have is that they're not the child of their parents, but they come from a more mysterious or exalted or enchanting background. And this fantasy often happens when children have been told off for being naughty and feel that they hate their parents, or if over the longer term they feel out of place or unaccepted in their family. Of course, in almost all cases, this is only fantasy. Just very occasionally, an adopted child may discover a whole new world of biological family that they knew nothing about if, as they get older, they begin to seek for relatives. This happened to one of my relatives by marriage, adopted as a child, not taking the step of seeking out his birth family till he was in his 40s, and it opened up for him a new understanding of who he is, mapping out uncharted relationships, physical, DNA, blood and similarity. He had the experience of meeting for the first time his biological mother and his relatives through her, people who he recognised because they're like him in looks and speech and mannerisms, even though he'd never met them before, people with whom, through their shared DNA, he had a relationship, a kinship. For those this happens to, the question is then what? Do you want to develop an emotional relationship with these people? How do you incorporate your previously unknown blood relatives into your lifelong relationship with the adoptive family of which you've been an integral part? Because what matters most to us is not how much DNA we share with someone, but the quality of our relationship with them. Jesus recognised this too. The Gospels tell us that when his mother and brothers came to take him away because they thought he was mad, he said that his mother and sister and brothers were in reality those around him who hear the will of God and keep it. The ties of blood or the ties of relationship, which are more important. Today is Trinity Sunday, and the doctrine that God is Trinity, one God with three personae, is one which has its roots in the Christian New Testament. But the reading from Isaiah chapter 6 reminds us that God is awe-inspiring and unknowable, and God is not thought of as Trinity outside the Christian community. So why do Christians believe it? How can we know? The understanding of God as Trinity is rooted not in some dusty theological DNA, but in the reality of relationship. Luke's Gospel tells us of the experience of Jesus himself as a teenager, discovering who he was, born of Mary, but finding his foundational relationship with his heavenly father in the temple and not with his biological parents. It was the quality of Jesus' relationship with his father, and particularly his disciples' experiences of living with Jesus, following him, being alongside him, seeing his passion, and meeting him after his resurrection, that drove them to the conclusion that the God of Israel and Jesus could be identified together. The Trinity as a doctrine is a way of trying to express the inexpressible. The great theologian St. Augustine said, when you ask what is Trinity, human speech suffers from a great lack of power. Nevertheless, we say three persons, not in order that we should say that this is how it is, but in order that we should not be silent. In other words, we can understand God as being like three persons in one being. We can worship and experience God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But we join with Isaiah 
in knowing that the being of God is beyond what we can understand. And we can also join Isaiah in our response to this rich vision of God, entering into living relationship with God through Christ, caught up into the love and wonder of God, the ceaseless relationship of outpoured love, which this Trinity represents. Trinity Sunday isn't a dusty theological festival or a child's fantasy. It's an invitation to discover the new family of God in Jesus Christ, into which we've been adopted if we invite Christ into our hearts and give our lives to him. Blessed be God forever. Let us pray. On this Feast of the Holy Trinity, we give thanks for the fellowship of Christ's religion and for the unity of God's people. We pray for the church throughout the world and for an increase in our communion with one another. Today we pray especially for the Anglican Church of Mexico and for Francisco, their bishop, for the Evangelical Lutheran Church of Iceland and for Agnes, their bishop, and for the Reformed Episcopal Church in Spain and for Carlos, their bishop. We pray for the church in our land and for a blessing upon our city. We pray for the Diocese of London and for Sarah, our bishop, and on this day for Archdeacon Richard and for the priests and peoples of the Middlesex Archdeaconry. At this time we pray for the renewal of the creation and for the good stewardship of the earth. We remember the vulnerable in our midst especially those suffering in body, mind or circumstance due to the pandemic we face. We give thanks for the bravery and efforts of those who are caring for the young and for the elderly, for the sick and for the dying. We pray for our government and for governments around the world, that they may be filled with wisdom and compassion for those whom they serve. In silence we pray before God, we pray for ourselves, for our loved ones, and those whom we should love more, remembering those that face persecution and violence, and especially all those that suffer for their race, gender, ethnicity, status, sexuality, or faith. Almighty God, whose property is always to have mercy, and in whose nature is the wellspring of love, unite your people, we pray, in the work of peace and in the exercise of compassion, that we, ordered by such virtues, might know the liberty of your saving grace and inspire the hearts of all with the comfort of your embrace. Through the merits of Jesus Christ, our Saviour, who with the Holy Spirit lives and reigns with you, O Father Almighty, now and forever. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. <laughs>